Good Friday, Easter Friday. The journey to the cross. This is, this is, this is why we're here and this is why, what we celebrate, the journey to the cross. It's, what's really interesting is that when we look at Jesus' disciples, they will go on to become these great, amazing leaders of this Jesus movement. They would preach powerfully about the gospel of Jesus. But you know what's really interesting when we actually study the gospel? Is that what we find in the gospel that these future leaders could lead the Jesus movement forward and begin to push it forward and, and to begin to give their life. What's really amazing is that in the gospel that it's emphasized over and over again as these future leaders as absolute failures. Absolute failures at following Jesus. Have you been there before? Right? I have. How would you like your name to be attached to something that describes you as a bubbling idiot, right? Would you like your name to be attached to a story that describes you as a bubbling idiot? And yet, these future leaders, their names are attached to the story, and they're, and they're kind of they're kind of described as these bubbling idiots trying to follow Jesus. To think about in our society today, when it comes if you're trying to become the prime minister, the pre- president of the United States of America, or any kind of leadership position in our society, it's all about, it's all about um, promoting the best parts of who I am, the best parts of, of, of what I can do, my strengths. And it's all about hiding my failures. You don't want to see that because I'm trying to promote myself. But when it comes to the history of the Christian movement, of this Jesus movement, it's the absolute opposite. The absolute opposite. So today we're going to be reflecting. Today we're going to be reflecting on the pinnacle story of the failure of these leaders who will go on to become these great Christian leaders of the movement. So we're going to be focusing on the pinnacle story of, of, of their failure. If you're looking for a title of my message this morning, it is Breaking Point. Breaking Point. Has anybody ever been to a breaking point before? See, this is one of the most powerful and important stories we have about Jesus. You know, one of the the pinnacle moments in, in, in Christianity, in the movement of the world, is the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, and the power of the Spirit coming up. But also, what we're going to share today is one of the most important stories about Jesus, and it takes place in a garden. In a garden. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We do have it behind me. Um, Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. And it opens like this. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Imagine Jesus telling you that. That this very night, you're, you're all going to fall away. It's kind of a bummer, right? Being told that by Jesus. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. They've just finished this Passover, the last Passover meal that, that Jesus will have with his disciples again. And he's trying to tell them that he is going to die. In fact, he's been trying to tell them for weeks when, you, when we read the, the, the narrative account of, of, of Matthew. He's been, try, he's been telling them for weeks, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. He's been trying to tell them for weeks, and he tells them again. 
And they still don't get it. So he's having this Passover meal with them, and, and, he, and he uses the Passover symbols, trying to explain to them what it means of the cup and the bread. And later on, we're going to be taking communion together with the cup and the bread. And Jesus, Jesus is using these symbols to try to describe to them what's going to happen. But, uh, and also tell them that, oh, but, but I'm going to rise again, and I'll meet you in Galilee. Then we go on in verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Right? Has anybody ever said that? I will never fall from you, Lord. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life, and I'm putting everything aside. And then we wake up the next morning and we fail. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's failing even by saying these words and he has no idea. And all the other disciples said the same. They're all going to fail. They're going to fail big time. You can, you can almost sense that Peter's like he's thumping his chest. Thumping his chest. I got you, Jesus. Come on, it's me, me and you. I got you. You can count on me. Even if it means my life. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive oil press. So he takes his disciples to this little Orchard of olive trees. Gethsemane, olive oil press, that's what it means. And he said to him, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with them. So who are the sons of Zebedee, right? It's James and John. So Jesus, he had his 12, that's his crew. Then he had these three. They're like, they're his boys, right? It's my boys, the inner circle. They're like his, his circle of, of, of his safe circle, right, that he can go to, his, his three closest. And then he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus is at breaking point. To, to put it bluntly, he's having a panic attack. He's sorrowful, he's agitated, he's distressed. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, we've seen Jesus up until this point as the rock, right? He's confident, he's calm. We've seen Jesus get angry. We've seen Jesus full of joy. We've seen Jesus full of compassion. But he's always, always, always had composure. This is the first moment of the story, first moment of the narrative where Jesus falls apart and he absolutely crumbles. I don't know if, you, if you've ever had a moment in your life when you first saw one of your parents break. I don't know if that's ever happened to you because you know, your perception of your parents, I don't know your story, for some of us is different. For some of us, your, your perception of your parents, they're like the stability of the universe but then when you watch the stability of the universe break and to watch them weep, it's really intense. I, I remember the moment I saw my mom 
in that place. Man, you just don't know what to do. I know my kids have seen their mom in that place. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I don't know if you've ever fallen to the ground where, where your body just, just gives out because of grief and because of fear. I don't know if you've ever been to that place before where you just give up. You know, many of you know the story of our son being diagnosed with, with this rare pulmonary embolism condition. But the first time, I remember Portal, when Portal first got the phone call, he's us and our family, we're in the lounge, we're just having a lot of fun, a lot of good time, and all of a sudden Portal goes outside of the phone into the yard, and we say, oh, what's going on? Okay, she's just on the phone. Then all of a sudden we just hear this wail just of weeping, and we run outside, and she's just crumpled up on the, on the ground, and she's crying, she's weeping. She's at her breaking point because she's, she's just heard for the very first time that her son only has months to live. She's at her breaking point. So Jesus falls to his face and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So Jesus really knows he's going to die. He's been saying for weeks. But he's... He's here, he's having a second thought. He's having second thoughts. See, Jesus is God become human. Yes, but he's human. And we're watching Jesus, a human, and we're watching his emotions unravel. Quite often, the Hebrew prophets and, and poets, they will describe God's justice or God's wrath as a cup, as a cup. In Psalm 75, verse 8, in God's hand is a cup, right? In God's hand is a cup. And, and, and just picture this golden cup of jewels around it, and it's bubbling, and it's foaming, and, and, it's, and it's mixed with high alcohol content of wine and spices. And, and, and the, the point is, it's what people want. It's what people, des it's desirable, right? It's desirable, and he's holding this, this cup, so God gives it to them. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, describing the same idea that God gives people over to the consequences of the things they choose, right? And what we choose are things that destroy us. Too many times we choose things that destroys us. And that's the image Jesus has right here of this cup, of these things. And, and it's, it's Jesus calling to drink this cup on behalf of his people. So we don't have to. And he wrestles with it. He's like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to drink this cup for, for these people that have rejected me, that don't like me, the, the Pharisees, they hate me. The leaders have rejected me. I'm over it right now. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to drink this cup. That's how he feels. This is how he feels. Yet on his journey to the cross, Jesus turns a corner and he says, Yet not as I will, but as you will. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you recognize the elements of this prayer? Do you recognize the elements of this prayer? My Father, your will be done. Do you recognize the element? It's the prayer he taught us. We know as the Lord's Prayer. 
Jesus gave us his prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins and forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. And deliver us from the evil one. This is his prayer. He gives us his prayer. And it's this prayer that he went to in his darkest moment. This prayer became his sense of, uh, his sense of stability. These are the words that he used to, used to guide him as he began to process his emotions. So here's what I want, Father. I want to do your will. I trust in you. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He, he asked Peter. Peter, your darkest moment is coming, Peter. You of all people need to be up right now and praying. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He uses his prayer again. The spirit is willing, but the what? The flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Did you notice the difference of the two prayers? Did you see the difference? It's quite significant. The first time Jesus prays, he says, If it is possible, if it is possible, Take this cup away. But the second time of the prayer, he's moving forward. And he says, if it is not possible, if it is not possible for me to avoid this, then I will do it. I will do it. If it's not possible, then I will do it. Jesus is recognizing his calling, and, and he's coming to terms with his emotions. He's on this journey to the cross. And we've all been on a journey Verse 43, when he came back again, he found them sleeping because the eyes were heavy. Have you ever had heavy eyes before? You know, sometimes we think far, far too, too, too highly of ourselves sometimes, and we think we are invincible. We think that, hey, you know, I'm a strong Christian. Nothing can harm me, not even an army, but maybe my mommy. Because their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, so he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. See, I don't, this is so profound. This story is so profound. This is Jesus who gave his life for us. This is the Jesus who victoriously conquers death and sin for us on our behalf. But then there's this Jesus. Weak, frail Jesus. Some of you know these nights. Some of you have been through these nights before. To me, this is the unbelievable power of the story. That Jesus is God become human. This is, this is so profound. That Jesus is God become human and God joins us in our darkest night of the soul. God joins us. See, in these moments when 
when your world is unraveling and, and your prayer is hitting a ceiling. You've ever been there? You feel like everything's just unraveling before you and it feels like your prayer is just hitting a ceiling and, and, and you're like convinced that nobody's listening to you. Nobody can hear you. You're, you're praying. You, you feel that you're all alone. Have you ever felt all alone? Like it's just you in your darkest moment of the soul. Nobody cares and everybody else has fallen asleep on you. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. This is the absolute power of the story. That when you're in, when you're in these moments, you are with Jesus. Do you hear that? That you are with Jesus. Jesus is no stranger to, to the utter fear and pain of the human condition. Because Jesus knows you and he knows your story. He's been there. Jesus knows you. He knows you more than you know yourself. And he knows what's, what's even better than what you think is better for yourself. He knows you and he knows your story because he's been there. Verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Here we have confident Jesus again. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. Judas was one of the twelve disciples, the one who Jesus chose. When, if you're leading a team and you kind of feel like you've made a bad leadership decision of bringing someone on, hey, I always think of Jesus and I don't feel that bad, right? If I was choosing 12 myself, maybe I wouldn't have chose Judas. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With them was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest them, right? Because he's in a garden, it's dark, there's, there's a group of 12 men, they, they don't know who they are, they, they've only got little torches, they say, look, the one I go and kiss, he's the one, he's the one. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. So this is a normal Middle Eastern greeting, it's, it's the greeting of welcome and hospitality. See, the poetic irony of this is, is Unbelievable. See, look at what Jesus' last word to Judas is. This is, what, this is Jesus' last words to Judas. Verse 50. Jesus replied, Hey, friend. Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out his sword. He drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Right? See, Matthew doesn't tell us who it is. But the Gospel of John tells us who it was. It was Peter. It was Peter that cuts off this dude's ear, right? Peter fails Jesus again. He failed, he failed Jesus by doing nothing, falling asleep. And now when he actually does something, he fails him again. Now, do, do, you, think Jesus, that, do you think Peter was aiming for this guy's ear? No. It was, it was going for his head. And he can't even get that right. See, the story presented of the leaders of the early Christian movement is that of absolute failure. 
Verse 52, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, listen to this, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Peter fails. He fails yet again. By doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus had been teaching his believers to do, right? Which is not kill your enemies, but to love your enemy. To love, to love those that, that talk grossly negativity about you, that talk behind your back, that gossip about you, that spread all these bad rumors. Jesus said to love them and to pray for them. Right? And he says, it's the upside down kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom cuts right through this. He says, Peter, 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 you chop off this guy's head and you contribute and you participate in a spiral of violence that breeds more hatred, that breeds more revenge, and breeds more vengeance. My kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to catch? Am I a terrorist? Right? You come at me like I'm a terrorist. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, love God and love your neighbor. And you do not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Now look how this narrative ends. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. See, this, the story began with them saying, no, 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 Jesus, no, no, we're with you, Jesus. We're with you to the end. We're with you to the bitter end. We've got your back, right? You can count on us. Then the whole story culminates with all of them doing exactly the opposite. They flee to save their own lives. So what does this mean for us? Right? It means Jesus knows you, and he knows your story. He's been there. It means that we're setting ourselves up to fail if our faith and hope is in us. Or, our, or, or if our faith and hope is in, a, in, in another person that I look up to. Or, or my faith and hope is in a church. Don't get me wrong, churches, we're really called to be in community. But I set myself at the fail if I put all my faith and hope in me. Because I'm like Peter. And so are you. And I'm like John. And I'm like Matthew. And so are you. At our best, we sometimes, sometimes get it right. The Apostle Paul, the most successful church planter of the first decades of the church. Near the end of his life, he, he will go on to say, you know what? At the end of the day, I can't believe Jesus loves me. Because I'm the worst. I'm the chief of all sinners. He actually says that. He says this at the end of his life of faithfully following Jesus. When you look at other movements or other, uh, other religions, it's, it's the, these guys, they're like sacred and oh, they're this we want to be like. But Paul says, don't look at me. 
I'm the worst. Look at Jesus. He's who we put our faith in. Don't look at a building. Don't look at a church. Don't look at a person. Don't look at a pastor. Look at Jesus. Because we all fail. Right? Yeah, this is unique to the Jesus movement. This isn't woe is me and this is all about hating ourselves. But it's about recognizing that we are a community that creates a space for us to fail. It's okay. We are a community. It's okay. Where we will pick each other up. Says, come on. You've got this. It's okay. This is what we are. We are a community where it's okay. A safe space for us to fail. So that we can grow together. But Jesus isn't frail. He's had the dark night of his soul and he passed the test. Peter did it. I usually don't. But Jesus did. My hope and my faith is in Jesus. The author and perfect of my story. And it's precisely his love and his commitment that drove him through the most lonely moment of agony and pain. So why did he do that? Because he loves me. And because he loves you. And he knows that the Father loves him and he knows that the Father loves us. See, after Portal had her breaking point when she was just in this humbled mess on the grass. After receiving that phone call, she picks herself up. She gathers her children, us, and we all went in the lounge and we prayed. We prayed. And here we are, six years later, our son is still with us and he's, oh man, it's praise God. Thank you. Praise God. We give that all glory. Many of you know the story. Jesus knows you, and he knows your story. He's been there. So I, I, don't know, I don't know what you need to hear from this message this morning. Maybe there's failure that you need to bring to Jesus this morning. This morning when we take the bread and the cup, and I'm going to ask the team if you can start handing out the bread and the cup. Maybe you need to come like Peter is going to come to Jesus after the resurrection. He comes with repentance and humility, knowing that Jesus will embrace him. Because Jesus will embrace you. Some of us might just simply need to know that Jesus is kneeling alongside you through your darkest night of the soul. Because Jesus knows you and he knows your story.